Welcome to the TF Blockchain Podcast, where we interview blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency innovators actively building products and platforms in this emerging technology. I'm your host and founder of TF Blockchain, Jonathan G. Blanco. TF Blockchain hosts conferences and monthly events in cities across North America, with chapters in Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, Austin, and San Francisco. For more information about our monthly chapter events, starting a chapter in your city, or our TF4 conference on November 14th, please visit us at tfblock.io. Wanted to let you know about our recently announced TF Labs, a blockchain and product strategy studio. At TF Labs, we are working with companies through corporate innovation to establish their blockchain product strategy and also building blockchain-focused startups internally. To get involved or for more information, please visit us at tflabs.io. Well, welcome, Seattle chapter of TF Blockchain. Uh, thank you so much for being here tonight, just in December. What's the date today? December 5th. 5th thank you. December 5th, 2019. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce you all to Pat Larson of Zen Ledger. He was at our TF4 conference here last. Nice. Thank you. Uh, well, Pat, uh, please do us a favor and introduce us to everybody. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having me. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, my name is Pat Larson. I'm the CEO, co-founder of Zenledger.io. We help accountants and cryptocurrency investors with their taxes. So we'll bring together all your trading activity across multiple exchanges and wallets, bring it together, uh, allow you to clean up your transaction history and correctly categorize uh, your income expenses, staking, mining, um, and produce your tax forms for you so that uh, you can uh, capture your gains, capture tax loss harvesting, you know, minimize or optimize your, your tax burden, and just be comfortable that you're, you're in compliance as, as you make your investments. Nice, nice. So do you have a background in tax or accounting, or do you have a background in trading or both? How, how did this come together? Yeah, I, I, a little bit of both. Uh, I've, I've um, uh, my MBA uh, from U of Chicago is, uh, was heavy on accounting and taxation, because uh, it was basically uh, for, for investment banking, so I was an M&A investment banker. Uh, and a lot of uh, the analysis around uh, if deals work or not is, is corporate tax. Um, and I've talked to uh, a bunch of CPAs and tax litigation experts as we've built the business over the last couple of years and just made sure like all the, all the correct uh, conservative and aggressive assumptions were in there so you could kind of like make your own determination as you do your taxes. Nice, nice. Uh, so t t walk us through how, you know, what was the uh, discovery point here? How did you realize that there was a need for such a software, uh, a need for this? Um, when, when did that take place? Yeah, like I've always been pretty entrepreneurial. My, actually, so my background is uh, um, I was a helicopter pilot in the Navy. And so I'm like used to like going very fast and making my own decisions. Uh, and then I got my MBA, uh, worked in iBanking um, uh, and worked at Amazon in retail business. Um, and, and a couple startups. So I got very comfortable with technology and I've always been comfortable with, with math and, and business. And in uh, the summer of 2017, I reached a point in my career where I felt like it was, I was ready to go like try to be a venture-backed CEO yeah. in tech. And as I was looking across- So, so do, do you open up your conversations with them the same like, I was a helicopter pilot? It's part of it, yeah. It is. <laughs> I would, if I was a helicopter pilot, I think yeah. I would just say it. It's it's not the, the it's not the only thing I talk about, but I do always bring it up. Yeah, yeah it I, is. I would. It's something I would that, always bring it up because uh, <laughs> actually, I, I just wrote up like 
two years of lessons in fundraising. And one of them is like, you have to have this core pitch that answers a lot of questions about, is this person smart? Are they effective? Do they have integrity? Are they gonna like, can they lead? And so part of being Are a military officer is like, yeah. yeah, like checks those boxes, right? Right, right, right? And you know, everyone can like tell their story so that you check those boxes, but it's kind of like, I don't have to spend too much time on it, I yeah. guess, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. So you're yeah. saying in 2017, you were uh, yeah. at Amazon? Yeah, uh, so I'd, I'd left Amazon, I was an e-commerce startup, and then uh, I left that startup and I was just like, you know, looking at the universe of tech ideas. And, you know, obviously I'd, I'd been watching crypto for a while and Bitcoin, Ethereum, and uh, the ICO craze, and, and it, was, it was all booming in the summer of 2017. And uh, I kind of sat back and thought about what are the picks and shovels infrastructure plays in crypto that could be built right now because yeah. it was obvious that they could be funded it was obvious that you didn't have to solve like herculean problems like you you could conceptualize something that would actually be kind of simple and would deliver a lot of value because a lot more people were coming into crypto and there was just a lot of uh um you know investment capital at play but then also you know uh retail investment capital at play and so tax was one of those things where i could fully conceptualize the idea and um then i just started taking the next step and the next step so I looked at uh, you know, Bitcoin.tax, which is a local company, and Cointracking.info, uh, which is a German-based company. We're both doing it a little bit, but obviously like very uh, low traction, and they hadn't spent a lot of time on UI and UX. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, okay, there'll be more people filing their taxes on cryptocurrency capital gains, um, and I can do better UI, UX, better automation, and you know, better marketing than the incumbents. So like that's that's a good business case. So then sure. I went out to see if I could build a team and uh, find seed capital to build it. Nice, nice. So um, let, let's walk through that part then. So you have this idea. Did you did you start playing around with it like on your own, like in an Excel spreadsheet at first, or what, what were you doing? I mean, I was I was fairly confident. Like I understand personal taxes. I can I can run through that, and I understand you know at least. Uh, uh, corporate taxes on the small and, and large level. So I was, I was fully confident that uh, software can tackle this problem. It's, 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 it's been solved for quite a long time. Right. Like Taxes is just addition, subtraction. Right, you're, just, en you're just entering a new variable into it being yeah. cryptocurrency. Yeah. It's like, the, I'm, I'm assuming it's fairly similar to how you would do your traditional yeah. it, tax software. Basically, you can think of it as how you would do your accounting for stocks, and that's how you would do it for crypto. There's just long, short-term holding. There's a gain or a loss. Uh, and the software needs to recognize uh, like a ticker symbol yep. and go pull prices at the right times uh, if, if, if it hasn't been entered already. So that's part of the automation. Then the software has to be able to ingest structured data in the form of an API or a CSV from an exchange or a wallet. And so like I, I knew that technically it was all completely feasible. There was no, right. there was no uh, technology risk there. We're not trying yeah. to build some new cutting edge AI or biotech molecule or whatever. Like it's, it's just uh, some accounting. I think that's fun when you understand that like, hey, like, you know, the technology is there and, you know, and you can tell me what you think of this. A lot of times we think so much about, hey, we have to build a super crazy tech. And it's like the tech doesn't even necessarily need to be that crazy. It's more like the strategy and, um, you know, how you're structuring it and making it work for what you need to do, right? Which it yeah. sounds like what you're doing. Yeah, you're just, I mean, you're modifying you know, some old behaviors and making them new again for your use case. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, 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 Justin uh, Khan of Justin TV, which became Twitch, that sold to Amazon, and then he started Atrium. He had this great advice, like, if you're young and you have no resources or experience, take market risk. 
like do something no one's doing and you don't know if anyone will buy from you or be interested. But if you're more experienced, have resources, uh, take execution risk. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, hey, I'm gonna um, go after the uh, legal services and just do it better because I know there's just billions of dollars right. uh, being spent there and I'm just like gonna bet on my out. execution, right? Yeah. Um, and so I thought, like I, kn- I know, you know, I, I felt it was more an execution risk uh, to, to start Zen Ledger because it was just taxes and crypto and I, I thought all the accounting could be done well. So it was more about can we have great user experience because crypto uh, in summer 2017 and today still is notorious for having terrible user experience, terrible right. customer service. Uh, you can't get a hold of anybody. Uh, things are buggy and they break. Um, I th- yeah, I, I think it's funny though I agree with the statement like when they're like, oh, the banks are closed, but Bitcoin never closes. I find that super hilarious because like it does close if you rely on a custodian, mm-hmm. right? So like if you own your own keys and own your wallet, which like is great that like a lot of people do, but the majority of people that are probably going to get involved with Bitcoin at some point in time, if we get mass adoption, are going to rely on some level of custodianship, right? Yeah. And Bitcoin's going to close for them. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> you, know? you know, someone has to write an order book, right? These accounts are insured. Right. And so you're giving up some things to gain those things. Right, right. right. Like, unless you want to 100% control your own keys, which, again, I recommend people understand that and learn that, have a good position on that, of course. But, um, yeah, if you're using some of these traditional um, type methods, unless they want to have 24-7, you know, account representatives yeah. to help you when you don't understand how to do something. Yeah, it's like, run, you know, selling your TV on Craigslist and having to be there, point of sale, show up, exchange cash versus, like, you know, uh, just buying and selling it on Amazon or letting, letting people take care of the fulfillment for you. For right? sure, I, exactly. It's like, as much as we don't like uh, intermediaries, there is a, a level of a purpose uh, there for that, so you don't have to, to deal with it, um, g- good or bad, yep. you know. Um, well, let's walk it back for a second. So, um, you know, you're talking about fundraising a little bit, and I know you just got finished with the fundraise. I'd love to talk a little bit about that. Like, what was the appetite from investors from when you first started talking about this idea? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of hit and miss with investments in blockchain and cryptocurrency, where you have a lot of the traditional investors at, at first being a little nervous about it, warming up to it now. Uh, that's actually uh, springboarded a whole group of blockchain and cryptocurrency like investment capital and, and, and venture capital. Uh, you know, how, do, how did you first start approaching it? Were you going after traditional capital at first? Did you realize, hey, my, that might be difficult. Let me find some crypto folks. What did you do? Uh, I, I went directly after my customer first, my core customer. So uh, all our initial seed investors, uh, no, no, so 80% of our initial seed investors, all were people who uh, had significant cryptocurrency investments and uh, cryptocurrency gains. And a lot of them were very technical, very finance savvy, and they're writing their own scripts or something. Like anytime someone's like jerry-rigging their own spaghetti code together, that's a business. Uh, anytime someone's doing all the work in Excel, uh, uh, that's a business, right? That's anything done in, in Excel is a SaaS business waiting to be built, right? <laughs> I love that, yeah. that's true, that's um, so true. Yeah, so 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 that's how we started. Uh, we, we just networked. Uh, really effectively and um, met a bunch of you know uh, really smart crypto people who were like oh that's exactly my problem take you know here's here's one Bitcoin right we were also raising at the exact right time it was uh, late December early Jan late December 2017 early January 2018 oh, yeah. right so some a lot of a lot of life is luck and timing and that yeah. just happened to be the case and then our our pitch was very refreshing because we weren't saying this is a hundred million dollar ICO. There'll be like a billion dollar valuation. Here's right. the token. It was like, hey, here's a convertible note. 
Like the was, first valuation yeah. is like X million and people are like, that's so quaint, that's so cute, that's really nice that you guys are just doing this traditional equity model. Oh, totally. Yeah. I could definitely imagine that being a breath of fresh air when a lot of these investors are probably seeing things like, oh, you know, my token is $25 to yeah. get started. Yeah. And, 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 and so we forth. built a good team. Like my, my background with investment banking and startups, uh, our CTO, Brian Starbuck, who was 10 years at Microsoft on the Internet Explorer team and the Windows security team, and then 10 years in his own startups with several exits, is also the early CTO at Assurance. Uh, which just sold for like 2.3 billion. So, wow. so building a great team gets you a lot of way uh, in in seed, uh, you know, in seed fundraising because all you're selling is the team and the idea. That's yeah. that's all you can sell at, at the seed stage. Right. Yeah. How'd you find Brian? Uh, just mutual introduction locally uh, through a friend of a friend, and Brian like got right away. He like showed up wearing an Ethereum T-shirt. He was like. I was in the Ethereum ICO. I love this. I've built fintech SaaS before. Like this is great. Like he was, it was, it was cool. like yeah. So it didn't have to sell him on anything. Nice, nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, Brian was in. We did an event with him on the product side. Yeah, and, and hiring uh, in in on the technical side. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So um, okay, so you 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 just so that's how you kind of got this started, and then. Uh, you raised a little bit. You got from uh, some bigger folks in crypto, and now you just did another round mm -hmm. uh, recently. Are you able to talk about that? Uh, a little bit. So, so we we raised that seed round in December twenty or twenty seventeen, January twenty eighteen, and we only raised uh, three hundred thousand, and we just bet on ourselves. We said like, hey, we're we're just going to get through April fifteenth, twenty eighteen, with an MVP, and then we'll either have earned the right to raise more capital, or we won't. Um, and and we had we got an MVP up in 10 weeks. We just hooked together six APIs, uh, produced tax forms, p PDFs, and people liked it. And based off that, we raised another two million dollars in the summer of 2018. And uh, we raised it uh, again from Crypto Angels, but then from two venture capital firms, uh, Castle Island, which is out of Boston, and um, the two uh, partners there uh, both were in the Fidelity Blockchain Group, uh, Nick Carter and Matt Walsh. Uh, and then Vestigo Ventures, also out of Boston, and they had a deep experience, uh, mostly in fintech, and out of their like 15 uh, investments, uh, only like four were in blockchain. Oh, wow. uh, and then uh, with, with that uh, fundraising, we uh, built up to about a team of 12 and had a really successful uh, um, April 2019 tax season, and then we're able to raise a subsequent round with uh, five uh, VCs in it, including Vestigo, and Castle Island again, and then uh, three uh, new VCs that we'll announce uh, next week. Nice, nice. All right. Well, pay attention to that. Maybe we'll we'll drop a hint when we uh, announce the podcast. <laughs> Very cool. So, um, so take me through when you're when you're thinking about uh, cryptocurrency and taxes, and like why is that a why why is that something that I need software for? Like why can't I just I don't know go to H&R Block and tell him, you know, this. these are my trades that I made. Yeah, sure. So uh, one thing is if, if you go to H&R Block, or, uh, they, they won't really know anything about crypto to begin with. The, uh, there's only probably a couple hundred CPAs that have taken the time to educate themselves on cryptocurrency. And they're like, they put their shingle out, they raise their hand, they, they speak at uh, conferences, they put out blog posts, they're guests on podcasts. Like, so they're the experts in the space. And anyone not really doing that will, will get like uh, disconcerted by 
by um, how things look because because uh, cryptocurrency exchanges and wallets don't report in standard forms like you would get from Schwab uh, it, so it's not presented why, why is that is that just like a lack of sophistication on their part or is it, it it's that um, Congress hasn't really set out what cryptocurrency is to, to an extent um, that that uh, regulators and cryptocurrency exchanges know how to report this correctly because it. it's like they haven't said it's a security every single one of them is a security it'll look exactly like trading on NYSE and here's the form like that's that's not what uh, Congress and the SEC and the IRS have said got it so is a little bit on your part when you're when you're providing these forms or creating this um, how much of this is basing it off of like hey this is a security and this is this looks like a security, so we're going to report on it like it yeah. looks like a security. So, so back to your question of why you need software, it's generally because people have hundreds of thousands of trades across 10 exchanges all across the world uh, in different time zones, different prices. Um, there will be these self-transfers that naturally, like, it goes to your wallet, and then it goes to a hot wallet in an exchange, and then you kind of lose what the tracking, and then the exchange's CSV output is like missing some column or data that you so so like you the software has to go and piece all this together yeah we've, we've built a lot of uh, good algorithms and machine learning to know when to uh, say hey that's a non-taxable self-transfer oh this this difference of uh, uh, 50 satoshis that's that's the fee and so that gets taken off of the cost basis as well and then oh like here's here's the actual holding period um, and, and we see it was contiguously held for a year, whereas if you didn't have those self-transfers and, and factored in that you moved it on and off your own wallet, it would look like four or five more trades with four or five more taxable events. Like, you need software to piece this all together into coherent, and, and, and like, hey, like, where'd this coin fr come from? Oh, that's an airdrop. What's the value? Oh, it's zero. Okay, we're not gonna report that. You know, all these types of things. Yeah, that's, that's giving me a headache just thinking about how you would try to do that manually. Yeah. Um, and so I guess let's walk through that. What would the alternative be? Is that I'm trying to piece that together on an Excel spreadsheet and then? Yeah, uh, so you'd, you'd have all these different, um, you, you'd, sometimes you'd only have a mobile screenshot or something, right? And so you'd have to like manually type that into an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, you'd have to like arrange it by date. You'd have to arrange it by uh, coin. You'd have to go uh, pull prices. If it was only priced in Ethereum or Bitcoin at the time, you would then have to go find the, the dollar price at that time. You would have to figure out LIFO, FIFO, or HIFO, so you'd have to like decide like from the top, the bottom, or the, the right price in the middle, like what coin you're selling. Yeah. yeah it, would, it would just be untenable over what, or 10, 20 For sure. to try. No, that's, yeah. that's super crazy. Yeah. Um, so when you do that, and uh, is it something that ties into, like do you have APIs into different exchanges, or how is that working out? Yeah, uh, so, so any API, that's out there that reports all the information we need, we go ahead and grab that. If we don't have that, there's usually a CSV output. Sometimes we'll just ask a customer, like, hey, can you just take a screenshot, send it to us? We'll like put into a custom CSV in our format and get it in for you. Like, we take customer uh, success really seriously. People are like surprised to get a hold of me at like, you know, midnight. They're like, "Wait, are you the CEO?" I'm like, "Yeah." Like, let me help you with this. Like, let's. I'll, and, and and if I'm if I'm gonna go to sleep, I'll hand you off to one of our our, our devs, and then I'll like come back in the morning because like we we just we realize it's a very high stress situation, and it takes uh, some technical know how, some understanding of accounting, our software, and uh, crypto, and and customer success is really important. We're building our business one customer at a time, and each of these customers is an early adopter, and so 
the next person coming into crypto when they ask for advice they're going to ask that early adopter that's like the guy on the block who's been like posting on social media about crypto and talking about it at thanksgiving in a very annoying fashion um and and so like that's that's what we think we're at the start of you know millions of, of americans uh, owning and transacting and investing in crypto yeah definitely definitely um what do you think it takes you know for more of these for that to happen right so you're saying like hey like we're introducing people and um, you know, this kind of like a frontier side that you're on, picks and shovels. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, how do you think that happens? Like, uh, how does the person at Thanksgiving tell their, um, you know, family member, like, hey, you should start trading and then maybe start thinking about using, you know, some sort of app like this? Yeah, yeah, I think slowly and then suddenly, right? Yeah. So the, the 2017 boom, uh, the, the previous three, four, five years was a lot of slow accumulation of people investing into crypto. Um, and now it's on MSNBC. Now every Fortune 50 company has blockchain projects and is trying to figure out how to get their own little monopoly in some space uh, in crypto. Um, there's uh, billboards and ads, and I'm sure they'll, uh, it'll be in, I don't think this Super Bowl, maybe next Super Bowl. I don't yeah. know, that'd be an interesting Well, Alec thing. Baldwin is the eToro guy. Oh, now. that's right. Yeah, yeah. eToro. Um, and, and this is really funny. Like, if you've seen on Twitter, if you look at the whatever ad it was um, that he did uh, for eToro, uh, you see it. You know, Alec Baldwin. And you see all these people just hating on Alec Baldwin. <laughs> it's really funny, actually, <laughs> because I think I love Alec Baldwin. I think he's hilarious, but I think he might have been the wrong spokesperson for it's, them. It's a weird thing. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's almost like I'm a PC on a Mac or something. Well, they, and they picked the PC guy. Well, especially because you know, like not to get into politics, but he obviously doesn't like someone, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so you had someone be like your spokesperson that now is polarizing on one side. It's just uh, yeah. really kind of funny to me. Yeah, crypto cuts a lot of different ways from uh, you know, libertarian. And, exactly, uh, right? Like yeah. you, you have a lot of people, people in crypto have some strong beliefs, yeah. right? And so yeah. on whatever side it is, so. Yeah. But, but back to your question about uh, what it takes, I think it takes like another financial downturn and then it takes another shifting of, of capital. Like obviously younger people are much more inclined to invest in cryptocurrency, uh, but right now um, the vast majority of investable like uh, money and in investable assets is hold by, held by 50, 60, 70, 80 year olds, right? Yeah. So it's tied up there. Uh, it's tied up in the S&P 500, it's tied up in real estate, but 20 and 30 year olds own no real estate. Uh, at all, right? They're like completely locked out of the asset class. Yeah. Um, it, but but they can chip away. They can put, you know, twenty percent of every paycheck or twenty, yeah, twenty dollars or twenty percent or whatever you want toward uh, acquiring uh, cryptocurrency. You know, every paycheck and just kind of doing that type of stuff. Uh, the robo advisors, the cash app, uh, Robinhood, things like that. So I think at some point there'll be another financial downturn, and it'll either be inflationary or deflationary or somewhere in between or it'll take cycles and and at some point um you know we'll find out if cryptocurrency is 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 sound money and how many people view it that way and the way it performs there will will probably dictate a lot of the outcome of uh how attractive an investment is right right um i'd like to move more uh to like the regulatory side you're on the panel regu the regulatory panel mm -hmm. and, and tax panel at tf4 um you know, let's talk more about like how the government sees cryptocurrency. You're, we highlighted a little bit about that from like you know security or not. Um, what, what do you think it takes for you know people talk about like cryptocurrency adoption or, or, or the usage, but not necessarily that. I'm talking more from a um, from on the on the tax side of it, right? So like 
um, ultimately there's like this misconception that cryptocurrency is not taxable, right? Like I hear that all the time. I was like, oh, like you can avoid tax via cryptocurrency. I was like, no, you can't, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, let's touch on that. And I think, you know, some of that, I mean, some, some of that um, misconception is even, you know, the government, some folks in the government themselves don't even fully understand that, right? Like has, like we kind of discovered in the Libra type hearings and so forth. So. Yeah. Love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think yeah. So so one thing is there's just a ton of confusion uh, from the individual investor. So cryptocurrency is absolutely taxable. Uh, the IRS has made that painfully clear, and they continue to to um, reiterate that. And and the, you know they've made some audits, and they'll be making more. Uh, the SEC uh, states that you know like you can't do Ponzi schemes uh, and securities fraud in crypto, and they've made that abundantly clear. And they've made prosecutions, and they'll be making more. Um, so, so I think over time, like it, we're only like 10 years into this asset class and only two years into people actually really looking at it at any kind of scale. So like just, it's such early days. Um, one thing is, yeah, like, so the IRS and the SEC have not been able to make policy because that's not their job. You know, lawmakers, policymakers are supposed to pass laws, but right now they're not going to do that, right? There's just, uh, it, it's all about impeachment and partisanship, and there's no way you're going to get uh, a democratically controlled House and then a Republican Senate and a Republican president to, like, agree on what crypto uh, taxation regulation uh, is supposed to look like. Um, e even though a lot of Fortune 50 companies really want it to happen, they want the regulatory overhead so that they know, like, oh, I can issue an insured account. Uh, here, like as a bank, as a, as a Fortune 5 bank, uh, and or a tech company, I can issue a token, and it's not a security, or it is a security, and I want it to be a security. I'm I'm Fidelity, I'm Circle, and I and I just I have the regulatory overhead, uh, like cover that I can invest lots of capital, I can hire people, I can deploy this nationwide, I can advertise this as right. an investment or an asset class. Or they can't do any of that right now. It's really tough. And so that's another reason why there's a lot of disinformation or, or misinformation because there's no large set of professionals that uh, are incentivized uh, to, to get it right for you. Like, not everyone can go, there aren't thousands and thousands of accountants who have sat down and had like their 10 year, 10 hours of annual training on cryptocurrency because and, and all these types of things. Like, right. so, so you're just gonna, uh, it, it's just like, you know, whatever, the it's 1998 and people are looking at tech stocks, right? And yeah. there's just all these different things about what's possible and no one quite understands what any of this is happening. And people who are, are plowing their money in, people born in uh, whatever, 1940, are putting their life savings in in, in 1998, 1999, right? And, yeah. and, you know, it's not working out very well in the year 2000 for them. Yeah, that uh, was an interesting time, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to just flip again and talk about ICOs, actually, mm -hmm. because, um, you know, when ICOs came, people took in a lot of money, right, or different projects, either in Bitcoin or Ethereum with the ERC-20s. Um, what, what are the tax implications on those folks? Do you know much about that? Yeah, so, so an ICO from an individual investor uh, standpoint is you selling Ethereum for token ABC. It's just taxable event. You just sold one asset, to acquire another, it's it's as simple as that, um, and then. So it's not like a tra it's not a transfer. It, it's considered. Yeah. So you, there's a gain. So there. the the most recent um, uh, IRS uh, guidance and the 2018 uh, tax law that was passed that was like a giant uh, tax break for corporations. Like specifically said, 1031 exchanges uh, don't work in crypto. It's only for real estate, uh, and and um, so so you can't flip from 
GE stock to Tesla stock with no tax implications, and you can't flip from Ethereum to an ICO token without tax implications. Yeah, got it. So, um, so with that, if you so let's walk through that a little bit. So, like, if if you did invest in ABC token, um, how, how many people do you think are actually thinking about the tax implications, or are they likely going to get some sort of letter from? IRS yeah. Or so, so at the time, like especially when ICOs were were really going, absolutely no one would care about the tax implications because if you're making two x on every investment, it's okay to pay twenty five percent of that gain each time because yeah. you've just gone up two hundred percent, right? Uh, but when it comes crashing down, right? When you're left holding the bag on the last ICO and it goes like down ninety nine percent, that's when you start thinking about tax loss harvesting and tax events because you owe cash to the government. On the Ethereum but, that you but, sold. Yeah, but you don't have cash, because right? Because you, lost, you <laughs> yeah. lost it on you, that. Your token went down value, your asset went down value, and <laughs> just like it would happen in a stock or in a home. If you were flipping houses and all of a sudden that last house, we hit a, a housing downturn and all of a sudden the value goes underwater, you're left uh, owing cash on all the gains of the previous houses you flipped, but you don't have that cash because you put it in the next house and the next house that you're flipping, but now all that cash has evaporated because the market price went down. I never thought about it in that way, and um, that's that makes a lot of these things even crazier. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, musical what, chairs is is terrifying when it's your sure, life savings. For sure. <laughs> so what? If, let's flip it on the other side from the um, from the companies, right? So uh, the company issuing the ICO. Mm -hmm. um, how are how is how did their tax implications go? So if, you know, if they receive, are, do they have to receive that as income? Um, when they receive the Ethereum, or are they receiving because, or are they receiving it as an investment? I still think that's an open question. Yeah. So, what do you think? So a lot of it will it'll depend a lot on the promises made because a lot, a lot of them uh, purposefully had a bunch of shillers saying different things, right? They purposefully put out misinformation, yeah. um, but then from the corporate message, it was not that like, hey, just flip this thing, it's gonna go up. Uh, the corporate side would be a little bit more staid and those documents may say something like, this is a claim on future earnings or this will give you a right to vote. Like those are different things, there'll be right. different rights. Or a lot of them may just say from the start, like this is a claim on nothing, you know, like so, yeah. so it depend on where they incorporated what promises they made, and you know there are just so many ICOs that it's yeah. Because virtually every ICO would have like a in their disclaimer like oh you know this is not a t this is a token for like not future value or yeah. whatever you know there's no value in this token you know knowing that they probably thought there was value yeah. for the token at the time. Yeah. So um, how would the, um, the how would the company itself issue how would they likely get taxed in that scenario? Yeah, I, I'd say, uh, you know, I think the SEC still needs to come to grips with that. It may be on a, a one-off basis, um, but it, a lot of them look like they were selling equity, right? Yeah. It looks like an equity offering, and um, that's just taxed in a certain way. I, I, I'd have to uh, check again. It's, it's been a little while since I've looked at uh, IPO accounting. But, um, yeah, it, you're, you're selling equity. Uh, is, is Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because what's interesting to me is that you know you had some of these companies that did raise in that very opportune time, like November two thousand seventeen to you know December, um, and so they took in all this Bitcoin Ethereum, but then it you know also yeah. dumped. most of them held it. Most so, of, yeah. right, exactly, exactly. So them holding it, so then they're going to get that capital gains that they have to do once yeah. they do sell. 
um, or if they did sell. Yeah. Um, but it, so you say you raised $100 million worth of Ethereum in January 2018 in your ICO, and then the bottom falls out of Ethereum. Um, you're selling as it goes down because you're trying to fund operations, but you your $100 million worth of Ethereum six months later would have been worth uh, $10 million of Ethereum, right? Yeah. But you would, And you may have hired like 30 or 50 people uh, you may have like bought an office and signed a three-year lease, like all, all sorts of things, right? Right, totally, totally. Um, no, it's crazy. So, um, yeah, I think with that, I'd love to open up to questions uh, to the audience. Um, you, have, you have one? Yeah, how do you guys deal with NFTs? Yeah, so we, we haven't... Oh, sorry, I'm just gonna repeat oh, that. Oh, yeah, please. Um, how do you deal with NFTs? Yeah, so we haven't seen enough customers ask for NFT uh, accounting to, to ad adopt uh, it into our software yet. It does look like NFTs would just be accounted for in the same way uh, that they're intended. So if you are a stamp collector or a baseball card collector, it would just be the same thing. There would be a price and a time you acquired it at, and then there would be a holding period and a price uh, you sold it at. Um, remember, there's no tax implications uh, at acquisition. So you, you buy stock. You buy a share of Tesla, you don't pay taxes on it until you sell it, uh, and, and there have to be gains. So, uh, and same thing with NFTs or cryptocurrency. Nice. So again, uh, just to make sure we're clear on this, you, can, you cannot get taxed on buying any cryptocurrencies. Only when you sell that you create a taxable event. Yes. So if I go to Coinstar and I put my money in and I use CoinMe and I buy Bitcoin, not taxed. I go to Coinbase and I buy Bitcoin from Brian Armstrong, not getting taxed. I'm gonna name drop everybody I can because I'm gonna tag them all on Twitter and you as well. <laughs> That's why I'm doing it. But I just wanna make sure for the record, anytime Joe Public, retail guy like myself, goes out to buy Bitcoin, I am not being taxed. Yeah, that's correct. So okay. you're, you're like already taxed on your income or you're already taxed when you sold a previous asset to free up the cash to buy the new asset, right? right? So, so that's where the taxation happened. Um, what's crazy about crypto is you have airdrops, right? Uh, so you're holding Bitcoin, you've held Bitcoin for five years, you've never sold Bitcoin, but now you're getting all these airdrops in and how do you account for those? The, uh, you know, most of them just go to zero and you wouldn't even bother claiming them. But there are some substantial ones like Bitcoin Cash, right? So, so you hold it and that was income of whatever, $3,000 per Bitcoin cash right, when yeah. it was issued to you. Yeah. So if you sold it right away, congratulations, you just got $3,000 of free cash uh, and you should just go ahead and pay some taxes on it, man. It was, it was free money, right? Uh, but then if you held it till it went down to $300 and you sold it today, you would have had income at $3,000 and then uh, some cash in at $300 and there'd be a $2,700 loss in between. Do I get to claim the loss? You do get to claim the loss, um, so that can offset uh, some of the gain of the income up so to. So for a lot of us who, let's say, we got in 2017, uh, we, we rode down this whole bear market, and we're bleeding alts left and right. <laughs> and we're, look, we all know we're bleeding alts. We all got bears. Let's put it on. <laughs> all right. So every, every time I'm trading at, at a loss, I'm I'm incurring a taxable event, but it's a loss, and it actually might be to my advantage. Yeah. So there's this concept called tax loss harvesting, and it's good you to talk about it. Yeah, it's good to talk about here in December. Um, so this is another gray area in cryptocurrency. So there's this rule in securities trading called the wash rule, where you have to um, wait 30 days between when you sell uh, a security and when you buy it back. 
because if you just like kind of chop it uh, and wait one second or one day, that's called a wash rule. You didn't really get rid of it. You were, it, so, so you buy it at $10, uh, within one day it goes down to $9. And you want to like sell it really quickly and then buy back at $9, right? That's what Jonathan does. Yeah, just like <laughs> algorithmic trading, right? Um, securities, there's a law that says you cannot do that in securities. You have to wait 30 days or to the end of the uh, calendar year. So a lot of uh, stock traders will sell December 1st, December 15th, December 30th, and then just buy back January 1st. And they'll book uh, whatever losses they had um, and carry that forward. So that's what tax loss harvesting is. It's, it's seeing in your portfolio of stocks or assets where the losses are, selling that asset, grabbing that loss, and, and holding it over till next year. Um, and in cryptocurrency, we don't know if you have to wait 30 days or not because there's no specific law that says cryptocurrency is a security and subject to the wash rule. So we don't know if you can just always sell like and buy back a day later or a second later or 15 days later in cryptocurrency. But if you want to be safe, if you want to be conservative, and you don't want to end up uh, in IRS tax court like with a lawyer kind of defending your aggressive tax position, um, you can you can sell you can look at your portfolio, you can use our software, and you can look at whatever cryptocurrency you're holding that you could sell at a loss. It may be in tranches. So if you, if you bought Bitcoin every month this year, some of it would be at a gain versus the $7,400 price today, and some of it would be at a loss versus the $7,400 price today. So there's some amount of your portfolio you could sell, capture a loss today, and, and then buy back January 1st if you want. Uh, and our software will tell you, you know, how much Bitcoin you can sell and how much of a tax loss you can harvest. Uh, up to $3,000 of your tax loss you can put towards your income. So you can reduce your income tax by $3,000 per calendar year. And then you can take the rest of your tax loss harvest and uh, put it toward any capital gains. So. Wow. I, yeah, I have a question if I understand correctly. So I, I got paid for consulting services in Ethereum, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I report it as an income, mm-hmm. but when I sell it the same year as a loss, I also incur capital loss. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But I have to report loss. Yeah. Did you want to repeat it? Yeah. So basically, the question is like, if you know, if you if you receive ten thousand dollars of Ethereum, for example, in income, um, but then Ethereum goes down, and you know, you, you sell it at a loss, are you? Um, getting uh, you know the capital loss as, and and reporting both income and the loss yeah so the the really tricky thing there is that you're you're taking a risk on where the asset goes and everyone knows that cryptocurrency has a lot of volatility right so what could have happened is the ten thousand dollars worth of ethereum that you took in January 1st uh, a year later it could be worth twenty thousand dollars or it could be worth five thousand dollars right and so uh, the safest thing to do would have been to, you know, like sell what Ethereum you needed for your current cash holdings, and then like have a realistic plan for, uh, you know, what was left over. It, it, it puts a lot more burden on you to think through the implications. In cash, you don't have to think about it. A dollar is always equal to one dollar, right? Uh, but but cryptocurrency uh, varies wildly uh, in in um, you know its value to dollars. So you ha- you have to think about what your cash needs are because most people don't pay you know, the rent or buy their food in cryptocurrency, yeah. Does the software, does your software uh, account for those situations? Yeah, yeah, so you can mark uh, Ethereum that comes in as income, and then we will uh, treat it that way. Uh, and, and you can also mark like, uh, um, 
you know, what lot of Ethereum you wanted to sell, like, you know, whatever, what, what price level. And, uh, for example, I have an account with uh, Coinbase, mm -hmm. uh, and they have some tax reports as well. So, do I take those reports and import into your software, or how yeah. does it work? Uh, so our, our software would import by API uh, from Coinbase and, and clean it up for you. The uh, Coinbase tax reports are okay if you stayed inside Coinbase, but for the most part, no one stays just at Coinbase. So anytime you move crypto off Coinbase, then back on, crypto uh, Coinbase makes certain assumptions on what you did, and it's generally unfavorable. When you <laughs> make a, a non-taxable self-transfer to your wallet or your Bitrix account or your Binance account and then bring it back to Coinbase, Coinbase was like, hey, you sold that. That's a taxable event. And they're not going to clean that up uh, when you when you use their tax reports. And then when they report that activity to the uh, the IRS, um, it's it's uh, it's it's generally incorrect, and the 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 values were inflated. And that's why people are getting uh, IRS warning letters right now. Time out. I, I just got to pump the brakes on something you just said right there. Red flag. If I take if I take my Bitcoin and I buy it on Coinbase and then I transfer it from my wallet to my Ledger Nano X or S or whatever, Coinbase is looking at that. Brian Armstrong and those guys are going, taxable event for me moving it off their exchange to my own private wallet? Yes. That seems cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs crazy, man. <laughs> so what they're doing is they're saying... Uh, am, I, am I wrong in thinking that's yeah. crazy? So it's not, it's not very uh, generous of them, for sure. Uh, what, what they're saying is they're, they're thinking about it from the liability from their perspective. Yeah, and, and they're protecting the Coinbase Corporation by saying that was a taxable event because that's, um, you know, th that's what they think is kind of like the most, whatever, safest safest way for them to report it. And then it's incumbent on you as when you file your taxes to have reviewed all your own transactions and income. You know, like that's, th that's what you take on as a taxpayer is I've reviewed the legal document I'm submitting to the IRS. So you have to back out the mistakes that Coinbase has made. So now we're legally liable. Yeah, and you and you always have been legally liable for your tax filings. One my, another question from Carter. Um, do you think it's time that the U.S. as a government reassesses the Howey test? And if so, what would your ideas or thoughts on the matter be? I mean, I haven't looked too much at the Howey test. I figured uh, there, there are just so many things in my control that I need to worry about that I don't uh, worry about what needs to be done with the Howey test. Um, I, I think there's a lot of good thoughts. Uh, uh, I think the, the best outdated? critique. Yeah, uh, certainly most securities laws were put in place right after the Great Depression uh, because of the stock market crash in 1929 and the SEC was created for a reason because things, you know, the, the trading was horrible then in the, in the 20s. Um, and so we have those uh, institutions because we said like, oh, never again, right? Like let's not do that ever again. Uh, but it is definitely time to update uh, um, securities regulation around, you know, digital assets, high-frequency trading, uh, international capital flows, like lots of things. There are lots of reasons why uh, the SEC should should update, uh, you know, the Howey test. On the technical side, but how many exchanges are you integrated with, and what happens if I move my assets into like paper wallets or gold wallets or, you know, who knows? Then how are you dealing with that? Yeah, so we integrate with hundreds of exchanges at this point and, and hundreds of wallets. And if we don't, you can always um, uh, just m make a manual entry or create 
uh, a simple spreadsheet to, to ingest the transactions. If, if you move off to a paper wallet, there will be a receiving address, and we just take that. We, we never ask for your private keys uh, or anything like that. Um, we, we don't even really ask. We don't ask for your name, social security number, date of birth, anything. We just ask for an email address. You can. We have plenty of people who use Proton uh, Mail and, and whatnot. Because um, and you can you know delete your account after you have your tax reports from us if you want to. Like we're we're fine with that. We you know we love to email you and you know send you our latest blog post or or a coupon code or whatnot. But if you if you want to just come in, load in all your transactions, get your tax reports and 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 hit delete, you can do that. Uh, but any any hardware wallet, paper wallet. Uh, we'll have a receiving address, so you can put that in our software, and we'll just uh, ingest all the transactions. If you have a MyEther wallet, we'll we'll do uh, the Ethereum and and all the altcoins on that wallet. We can ingest all of them uh, in an automated fashion for you. So you're not bound by KYC law terms. No, so like I mean, all our customers are raising their hand and saying, "I want to pay taxes on cryptocurrency," right? So uh, we're we're not selling you anything, nor are you buying anything through us uh, from a from an asset or security standpoint, you're you're buying uh, software services. Right. You're buying SaaS accounting services from us. Yeah. Um, do you see any differences between the custodians in terms of what they're reporting to the IRS? And then I guess the second question is, when you recommend that somebody that's investing into cryptocurrency seek some tax advice? Yeah, so uh, first question, do, you, do I see a difference between how custodial and non-custodial uh, cryptocurrency exchanges uh, have reporting? So non-custodial exchanges will generally have uh, almost no reporting. They'll, they may have a transaction history, or it may all be captured on the wallet that you're connecting to the non-custodial exchange, in which case you already have your entire transaction history. Uh, custodial exchanges will uh, always report your transaction history to you as well. Um, and they will uh, generally have some sort of API. Usually, it's that API is built for um, you know bots to trade on uh, high frequency trading, and so sometimes it won't hold, it won't uh, disclose more than you know a month back, or it won't actually have uh, prices to dollars, things like that. So our software will have to fill in gaps um, from where the custodial exchanges are not providing the information we need to to figure out your your taxable events. And then uh, was your second question. I mean, uh, in, in terms of, well, I guess like in terms of what they're sending over to the IRS. Yeah, so um, a custodial exchange. So here's an interesting thing you're seeing is that um, overseas exchanges are setting up a, a US entity and then kicking Americans off of the overseas exchange. So Binance just opened up Binance US and then they kicked every American off of Binance based out of Malta, right? Uh, Huobi just set up Huobi US and kicked every American off of the Korean based exchange, right? So so it's just showing the, the heft and the wherewithal of America in like the international financial system, right? So everyone has to set up shop in the United States and that means that they're gonna conform to US reporting and the IRS won a lawsuit uh, in late 2017 against Coinbase. And so Coinbase turned over user information on 20,000 people with, uh, or maybe it wasn't 20,000 people, but it was anyone with over $20,000 of trades, which just means if you'd sold $1,000 of crypto 20 times back and forth, you would have reached the $20,000 activity level. And that's the problem with the 1099K, which is what the IRS is basing their, their letters off of, is if you just sold, bought and sold one Bitcoin a thousand times, they would be like, hey, million dollars on your 1099K, you owe us 
and and you could have uh, lost a bunch of money on all those trades. And so now it's to you, it's up to you and your accountant or whatever to go and say, no, actually, like here's my full history, uh, and I actually have losses or or my gains were not a million dollars, they were a hundred thousand um, dollars. And so our software produces a full audit package for you. It's like across ten spreadsheets. It'll show. Um, when you buy or sell one Bitcoin, it generally fractionates into lots of little transactions. So we piece all those together for you, timestamp them, price stamp them, tie them all together so you can like f uh, have a full audit chain flow through. And CPAs are very comfortable uh, with that output. Are you able to work with privacy coins? Uh, to a certain extent. So we... Um, are you, sorry. Are you able to work with privacy coins? Yeah, so we are... If you basically, if you report your activity on that privacy coin, we will be able to uh, tell you what the capital gains and losses are on it. If you are trading that privacy coin on an exchange, like if you're trading Monero on Bitrix, then it's not a privacy coin. Uh, like I can, and we can just see the trades you made on 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 Monero, and we can we can go ahead and take care of that. If you like, um, you know, uh, do the whole like buy a thumb drive in a, in a Starbucks with Monero on it, then like you're not reporting that in our software. So it's like not a use case we're that concerned Which about. Starbucks is that, by the way? There's <laughs> any Starbucks, any Craigslist with, with a mobile app now. Nice, nice, awesome. Um, well, I think it's been a good place for us to, to stop and we can continue conversations with, with Pat after, but um, I, before we close out, do you have a question that you wanna leave the audience with for them to think about as they walk out? Yeah, I, I, I would, and I have the same question, is what, um, what do you do with your crypto in the next financial downturn, right? I think that's by far, like, kind of, like, the biggest question. Uh, and I think, like, people sell their, their yachts and their paintings and their cars and their homes during financial downturns, and I, I think that people will sell their crypto at the start, too. Yeah. And it'll, it'll be incumbent upon some people to, to, to buy low and hope it goes high. But that's, that's, my, that's, th that's what I think will determine, like, the future of at least Bitcoin as, as a cryptocurrency asset. And I'd put the question to you, too. Interesting, interesting. Awesome. Well, Pat, thanks so much for taking the time uh, and, and being with here with us tonight. Uh, make sure that you're listening and subscribe to the podcast so you can uh, listen to this uh, later. And let's give Pat a round of applause. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the TF Blockchain Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and also follow us on social media for announcements on upcoming conferences, events, recordings, and news. Please review and rank our podcast so we can continue to spread awareness of blockchain, Bitcoin, and crypto. Thanks again for listening. Keep learning, keep growing, and keep building.